Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, it is good friend of the program, Rob Doster. Oh boy, it's that time of year, baby. It is March. Shout out John Rothstein. And we are going to discuss how to bet on college basketball in March. That is the idea of this podcast. And the reason that I thought it would be great to have Rob on is, well, uh, Rob, like me, enjoys gambling on basketball. So I thought that it would be a perfect little mix of just a nice little entrance way into betting on basketball in March. We got afternoon basketball coming this week, Rob. I love afternoon basketball more than anything in the entire world. I love betting on afternoon college basketball uh, pretty much more. I don't, I don't. I mean, it's the best. It is the absolute best. My, my favorite thing is when we get into it. It's not even just like the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It's conference tournament week. It's when you wake up on like yeah. that Tuesday and you're like, I get to gamble and watch basketball from noon until two o'clock in the morning on games that like actually matter between teams that might not be very good, but they actually matter. Dude, so I'm so I'm great. so fired up. It is so great. Like I, I'm trying to find like when the first. I, I think it's probably Tuesday, right? Because I I misjudged. I thought that because the A Sun tournament starts tomorrow, the A Sun would have games for us to bet on in the afternoon. But apparently, the first round of the Atlantic Sun tournament. Uh, all of the games are played at 7 p.m. on like the uh, court of the higher ranked team in the conference. So I'm a little bit bummed that I don't get to gamble on games tomorrow. But Tuesday, I no, think no, no. Is probably we get to gamble on games tomorrow. We just got to wait until um, yeah. seven o'clock, you know, Eastern Standard Time, the only legitimate time zone, four o'clock for you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the only legitimate time zone. Fuck off. Uh, I'm telling you, once you would move out here, you'd be like, there's no other way to watch games. There's no other way to watch games. I want, I want to be out there so bad, dude. Like I, I used to, <laughs> this is how I know, like I'm getting old because it's like, it gets to the end of the 11 o'clock game and I'm like, man, fuck, I'm tired. Like I, I got to get to bed when in the past it was like, um, I'd be like, all right, so what's the, uh, what's the midnight tip? What do we got going tonight? What's the late night WCC game? We got Hawaii tipping at, at one o'clock in the morning, Eastern time. Let's go. I'm in. Let's watch this. Well, and so now, like, like that. Here- here is the key to all of this. So if you're on the West Coast, you know, like last night, what time did St. Mary's Gonzaga tip at like nine, right? Like your time? No, it's 10 o'clock. It was it perfect. Was 10. I love when they have the games. That go, it's like noon, two, four, six, eight, ten. You know, you got six banks of games coming up in front of you. I can't stand like these tip offs that are at like one thirty or the random like six thirty p.m. Eastern time tip offs that they get on on. I don't want to say the channel because I don't I don't know. Um, I don't want to blast anybody, but it, it's it's annoying when you don't have the games start at those specific time periods. Like I, I need that. I need that structure in my life. I need to know, like, okay, what am I betting on the eight o'clock tips? What am I betting on the six o'clock tips? I need that in my brain. I need it to work that way. Well, see, like here, here's the thing, though, out here on the West Coast. So I just planned on watching St. Mary's Gonzaga this morning. And because that was the last like relevant game of the night that I knew I wanted to watch, I just went to the movies with Laura, like 715. I was like, OK, we're let's just go to the movies. So we did a double feature at the movies last night and I got to watch basketball the entire day. That is the best part of West Coast basketball. You can either go on a date night with your fiance or in your case, wife, or you can go out like drinking at eight o'clock and not feel bad about missing anything that happens. Yeah. I mean, that really is the stone cold nuts right there. The only problem with that for me is like, I'm a huge, huge Tottenham fan, like premier league soccer. Yeah. And 
I would have to get up at 4.30 in the morning to watch, like, the early kickoffs. Getting up at 7 a.m. is doable, like, because most of the games are at 10 a.m. when they play the weekend games, and that's doable. I can make that happen, especially with a three-year-old at home. But, like, 4.30 in the morning to get up to watch, I, like, I legitimately think that if my wife ever does leave me, it's because she hears the alarm going off at 6.30 a.m. on a Saturday again because I'm waking up to watch some stupid soccer game. That's going to yeah. be what it is, Sam. That's going to be the end of my my marriage. I, I will be honest with you. So, like, I used to be, like, a pretty big Liverpool fan in college. And, like, when I lived on the East Coast, it has definitely died down since I've been out here. It, it is hard to wake up and watch Liverpool. Yeah, it's just it just feels wrong, like, being up that early and getting that into any kind of sporting event. Like, yesterday was uh, – this is kind of, like, in the weeds for, for basketball fans. But there was the North London Derby. It was the – it was Tottenham against yeah. Arsenal, which is like the biggest rivalry in the Premier League. I'm a fan of Tottenham. I hate Arsenal. And it was at 7.30 in the morning. And it was like this this hugely dramatic game with an unbelievable ending and just completely heart-stopping. And by the end, it was like 9.15 when it was done. And I'm just sitting there like, God damn, man. I need a, like, I need a cup of whiskey and a cigarette. <laughs> and I don't even smoke. Like, it, was, it was bad. And that's the way that I kicked off my morning. And then I had two and a half hours to kill. Before, like, because my, my wife and my son went to uh, went, went to a friend's house, so I had like two and a half hours to kill with nothing to do, and I had just finished watching this super intense soccer game, and I have to like get ready for the day because I know I'm going to be like spending twelve hours working. Basically, it was a it was a roller coaster ride, Sam. It was a roller coaster ride. That's that's the moment where you just start playing FIFA afterward. I think. Yes. Yes. That's well. Uh, I I did the dishes and did the I I did I got the honeydew list done some of it uh, at least that's smart that's smart so let's jump into what this podcast is going to be all about so the first question I want to ask you Rob I'm going to read off a list of betting odds on who is going to win the national title in college basketball from our good friends at BetOnline.ag we'll have a quick little advertisement read from them later on in the show but Duke plus 225, Gonzaga plus 650, Virginia plus 750, Kentucky plus 1000, Tennessee plus 1000, North Carolina 12 to 1, Michigan 14 to 1, Michigan State 16 to 1, Texas Tech 22 to 1, Kansas, Nevada, Purdue 25 to 1, Iowa State, Marquette, Villanova 33 to 1. I don't know if I have to say anyone else, right? I think that's probably about it. Was there a Texas Tech in there? Did I get that? Is that 20? There was 22. Yeah. I mean, like Virginia Tech is at 40 right now. LSU's at 40. Houston's at 40. Um, Louisville's at 66. I, I think that's <laughs> probably all we need. <laughs> I, would, I would not be betting any money on Louisville to win a national title at this you and moment. I, um, you and I have lost a lot of money on Louisville this year. Yes, we have. Louisville and Michigan have been my Achilles heel this year. I just, I, I, I think I've gotten them. I bet on them a lot and i felt like i've had a really good feel on them a lot and i've gotten them wrong a lot it has not been uh that's not been the best for me the problem with louisville is they will be covering for 38 fucking minutes and then at the last two minutes they forget how to run offense and can't break fucking presses and then you just feel okay you feel okay you feel great and then it just all goes down the shitter and then it's just gone and your money's up in smoke and the account just when you're expecting that number to go back into the account yep. and it, to get bigger and then it doesn't get back there. It's just that's just such the worst feeling in the world. Even And, and here's the thing. It's not about the money, right? It, it's not necessarily about like how much you're losing. It's about the fact that you got it right and you had like th- there's nothing worse for me. 
than knowing that like my process was perfect and I had that game peg and I, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And some weird thing happens at the end and Jalen Noel misses the front end of a one-on-one with 10 <laughs> seconds left of Washington up by one and then they win, but they don't cover or, you know, that weird, like whatever happened at the end of North Carolina the other day or three free throws at Kansas state missed against Baylor at home. And, uh, and, and cost me, well, it didn't cost me much. It just cost me like one leg of a parlay because they ended up pushing. But um, three times this weekend, Sam, three times. That's a separate rant for a separate day. But yes. Okay. Yeah. What were we talking about again? So title odds. I read okay. off a bunch of title odds. Give me who you got. So I would, I think that Duke is the best team in college basketball. And I would have, I want no part of investing any money in any kind of futures with them at this point until we have some clarity on what's going on with Zion Williamson. Yeah. And I know that that at this point is probably like baked into the odds that you can get a little bit. And if you have like, if you're really confident that he could come back and he could be healthy, then I would, I might think about it because this is probably the best odds that you're ever going to get. But I'm also like super worried about Duke getting into the NCAA tournament and having one of these games where they shoot like four for 33 from three and pulling a 2010 Kentucky and then not winning the title. Like as, as good as I think they are, I don't think that there's, um, that much of a difference between them and then Gonzaga and Virginia as, as what you're seeing in the title odds right now. I like that Gonzaga plus 650 number, uh, them at six and a half to one. They are an incredibly talented team. They have a senior guard in Josh Perkins who has settled down some of his questions in terms of turnovers. Uh, he has really done a good job of running their offense this season. Gonzaga has, I believe the second best offense in the history of the Ken Palm database, uh, Currently, I want to say it's at like 128.5, something like that. Only the Wisconsin team with, was it Frank Kaminsky in his junior year, I want to say, is higher than that. Uh, they look awesome. They have two legit pros in Rui Achimura and Brandon Clark. Uh, they might get Killian Tilly back, who is another legit NBA player at some point. Uh, look, they have pretty good wings. And Zach Norvell, who Rob is the world's biggest fan of and i'm sorry i love zach i love zach norvell i love I'm starting him. to come around on zach norvell too and Corey kispert who is like a good solid player right now who i think will be like an incredible player in the west coast conference uh by the time he's a senior but i look at that team i think they have the talent to cut down the nets i think they have the coaching to cut down the nets and the question is the defense but uh generally i, I am in on gonzaga yeah, I mean, I, I did a study on this a couple of years ago, and you can, if you have a, a great offense, like a um, an offense that is what Gonzaga has right now, you can get by by just having a good enough defense. And I think that their defense is good enough to get it done. Uh, they remind me a little bit of, not necessarily in how they play, but kind of how they're structured of the 2009 North Carolina team, where they have a bunch of guys that are kind of old kind of veterans some guys that are going to end up being nba players maybe not necessarily stars but yeah. guys that will hang around the nba for a while they get up and down the floor they are are like you said an elite uh efficiency offense um in terms of just like all time of the database that, that, that ken palm has but they don't really have they have some glaring deficiencies on the defensive end that can be exploited. And they also have a couple people like Brandon Clark who are talented enough to cover for some of the mistakes that they might make. Um, and one point for like, I, I know that this is more of like a, you can do a lot of NBA stuff for people that haven't been watching college basketball this season. Like this Gonzaga team is legit. This is, I, I think that I would say that this is probably the best team that they've ever had better than that team that got the one seed with Kelly Olynyk. better than that team with Adam Morrison on it and better than the team that made the 2017 uh, national title game. So 
this is not like some just Gonzaga beating up on the the WCC and, and getting their record inflated and people buying into them when they're like more of a top 10-ish kind of a team. No, they're very, very legit. They are the only team in college basketball that has beaten Duke when Duke is at full strength. So here's a funny little stat. So that year in 2017, they had the 16th ranked offense and like very clearly the number one ranked defense in the country. This year, they have the number one ranked offense very clearly in the country and the 16th ranked defense. So oh, look at that. They are in really good shape. I think that they are a final four team. I have very little in terms of question marks about them. Uh, they only lost two games, December 9th uh, uh, in a neutral site game to Tennessee, December 15th at North Carolina. Both of those games were pretty tight. The North Carolina game stretched out a little bit late, but I generally believe in this team. I think that they're terrific. Uh, one of my questions here that I'm going to ask you, we're going to do like a question and answer kind of format here uh, once we get down to it, was Gonzaga, should they be trusted? I think yes. I don't really have much in the way of question marks about it. I'm yes, at 100%. Like if you're going to trust anybody in college basketball this year, it, it, Gonzaga is one of those teams. You know, everybody else has question marks too. And I think that's my favorite thing about this year is that there are a lot of good teams, but all of like the really good teams, even that elite tier do have question marks and do have things where you can kind of poke some holes in them. So they're not unbeatable, but it's like the difference between what Gonzaga is when they're at their best and what like, Kentucky is when they're at their best is really not all that much and and I think that you right. that you're going to see Kentucky somewhere down like around seven or eight in the polls when they come out this week so I think there is a very legitimate like top eight that are all good enough if everything comes together to legitimately be called like a national teams that can win a national title and you can feel okay about that I would also put Virginia in that conversation I think that there's Having said all everything that I just said, I do think there is a pretty clear-cut top three, and Virginia yeah. is that number three. Um, I actually have Virginia at plus 2,000 that I got back in, like, I want to say it was October it's or maybe November, um, which was nice, and hopefully that one ends up panning out. And again, that team, people think about Virginia like this slow kind of grinded out the uh, beat you with the defense. They, they're, I mean, they're slow again. They're really good defensively, but they, they, they have pros. They got DeAndre Hunter, who I know that you're enamored with. They have Ty Jerome, who I love. Uh, I think that um, the biggest thing with them is they're so versatile this year. Like the the last couple of years, they've they've kind of been stuck with this like lineup where you got to play two bigs and you got to have two guys that are slow. And as everybody's going small, that's how mismatches end up getting created. Whatever. This year, they can go with Mamadi Diakite at the five, who's like a super versatile shot blocking, switchable, everything you want out of kind of like the. Uh, the the modern uh, modern five to go along with DeAndre Hunter who can guard literally everybody from Kobe White to Luke May and everyone in yeah. between and Braxton Key who probably did as good of a job on Zion Williamson as anybody um, in college basketball has done like he was the guy that had probably did like the majority of the heavy lifting in that second game um, at Charlottesville when Zion like this is going to sound weird because he finished with, like eighteen five five three and three but he probably had like one of his worst games. Um, as a as a, a Duke player, and Braxton Key did a lot of the defense on him. And those three guys can all play together with Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, who are somewhere between NBA players and all ACC players. So that's a very, very, very good basketball team. I'm all in on them. So yeah, another question I had here was, Virginia lost to UMBC last year. Why will that not happen again? I think Rob hit the nail on the head. They are just a lot more athletic than what they were last year. Uh, you know, Mamadi Diakite was on this team last year. He is a lot better than uh, 
what they had last year athletically. Or he's a lot better than what he was last year athletically. Uh, you can look at guys like Nigel Johnson and Devon Hall or Devin Hall. Like these guys were good. They just weren't necessarily the most athletic dudes that could cover a ton of ground, especially once DeAndre Hunter went down with his wrist surgery. I believe it was wrist. Uh, now you've got Ty Jerome, who's improved a lot defensively. You've got Braxton Key, who's, uh, you know, I would say he's pretty similar in terms of athleticism to what Isaiah Wilkins brought to the table. You've got a better version of Diakite. You've got DeAndre Hunter just destroying everything across the front line and across the backcourt. If you want to put him on a guard and stop that guy, like I legit believe this in my heart of hearts that if Virginia had DeAndre Hunter last season, they would not have lost to UMBC. I know that they lost by like 16 or whatever it was at the end. Might have been like 20 at the end. I really believe that what they would have done is they would have just thrown DeAndre Hunter on Jarius Lyles and it would have totally changed the complexion of that game and changed the way that that game was going to go. No, I'm I'm 100% with you there. I'm 100% with you there. And the only thing, the only point that I would add is that they didn't lose because of the mismatch. The reason the reason they lost is because they got down a little bit and it got in their heads and right. you could just kind of see like the lemon booty starting to happen, right? But part of the reason that they got into that position was that UMBC went with four guards and then those four guards caught lightning in the bottle and they started lighting them up and Virginia froze up. But part of the reason that they were in that spot where UMBC was able to catch lightning in a bottle was because they didn't have that guy they could put on the floor to be able to match up with them and basically go small. And that's why I was saying with like when you put Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, Braxton Key, and DeAndre Hunter on the floor, like those guys can guard anybody one through four that you put out there. Literally anybody in college basketball, those four are going to be able to match up with them. Yeah, strong agree. And then like Look, you have Diakite at center. You have Jack Salt, who's like a smart, good screen center, uh, knows how to run their defensive scheme really well. And then you have Jay Huff off the bench. And Jay Huff is not like amazing yet. I think he's going to be incredible by the time maybe even next year comes around. But he does provide a really different look for them as like a stretch five who can step out and knock down shots. He has interesting post footwork that can kind of allow them to throw the ball in and get a shot pretty quickly. Uh just a more well-rounded team than what they had last year, especially now that DeAndre Hunter is there and not out. This is going to be a really, really good year for Virginia. I think that this is the year that they make the Final Four, to be honest. Yeah, I I, I would not be surprised to see them end up winning a national title this year. Uh, and, and that's mostly because I think that they actually can match up with Duke. And they're one of those teams that when their defense is right, they force Duke to do the things that Duke doesn't really want to do. And if Duke is going to go 13 for 21 from three again when they play Virginia, then Virginia has no chance because nobody in the world has any chance against Duke when they go 13 for 21 from three. But I'm not convinced that that's going to be what happens the next time that they face off. Right. Uh, Look, there's only one place to get in on all of this betting action. It's betonline.ag. It's a sports uh, casino, virtual casino, you name it. Betonline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online. Use that promo code CLNS50 for that 50% sign-up bonus. That's CLNS50. Look, betonline.ag is your online sportsbook experts. They really do the absolute best job of uh, setting you up for success and setting you up to, uh, you know, have the best lines, have the best chance for you to make money. Uh, Look, tomorrow night, we've got Virginia Syracuse. I'm excited for that. We've got uh, Texas, Texas Tech. I'm excited for that. We've got uh, a lot of really interesting matchups, not only 
for us to gamble on, but we also have a lot of interesting matchups for us to watch for NBA draft prospects. So <laughs> the best place to bet on these games is at betonline.ag. Uh, you can go online or use your mobile phone to sign up today at betonline.ag and try in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts uh rob the next question i've got here on my list it just says duke discuss because we kind of mentioned at the top you don't want any money tied up in futures until you know whether or not zion is going to be back where are we at with this duke team i would say with zion or without zion with zion i think that they are the best team in the country and i think when they show up to play that they will beat anybody like i I think that then when they play their best they are basically unbeatable and i don't i don't throw that around too easily um that said i don't think that it's anything close to a guarantee that they ever play their best in any individual game and that's because what their what their weakness is um it's it's possible like that's it's the easiest the easy thing to deal with is a team that can't shoot threes right like if they can do everything else but they can't shoot threes that's what you want because you can just kind of pack in that defense and um, as long as you do have a little bit of length and a little bit of athleticism, uh, then you are going to be able to um, kind of, uh, let me put it like this. If there are one weakness of a t- that a team has is shooting, that's the easiest thing to deal with. And I, that's just what their weakness is, man. And, you know, there's going to be a game at some point where they shoot, like I said, four for 33 or whatever it is from beyond the arc. And are they going to be able to win a game when they do that? Now, if Jack White, if he's finally like out of this slump, because he missed, what was it? He went from January 12th to March 2nd without making a three. He missed 28 straight. And then on March 2nd against Miami, he hit three in a row. So if he is like making shots again, I think that that does change them a little bit. If Alex O'Connell can kind of find a rhythm and be a guy that can come off the bench and space the floor a little bit, that does kind of change things. But the, the the fact of the matter is like you can play off of Zion and make him make jump shots over you because that's the thing that he can't really do. You can play off of RJ Barrett and make him make jump shots over you because that's the thing that he can't really do. See, force- I, I don't really agree with you that you can play off of Zion. Well, because you know, like he just gets yes, downhill so fast. Like if you if you play off of him, like if you if he takes a ball screen and you go under the ball screen, he can just accelerate so quickly going to either direction. And if he goes right, he's going to be able to spin back left so quickly that. Like, I feel like you actually do have to kind of stay up on him. He has real gravity despite not being a shooter. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, the, the I guess you are right. But the thing that I was kind of saying is like when Syracuse was in their zone, you were able to just kind of pack everybody in within 12 feet. And I mean, that's basically what they did when they played in Cameron is they didn't have anyone like if RJ Barrett had the ball at the top of the key, they didn't have anybody go past the foul line. When they when when Zion would kind of make that move into the lane, when he would they, they killed him in the first half by just throwing the ball into the paint and letting Zion go when he got the ball like twelve feet away from the rim, and yeah. they just sagged everybody off and and just kind of clogged everything up in the middle. So it's not just that like I, I guess what my point was is that it's not necessarily sagging off of Zion himself that's what's going to save you. It's sagging off of all the people that can't like you don't have to guard Trey Jones. No, you, you just don't. don't have to guard him from beyond. That's the actually a real problem for them. I think it's a it's a very big problem for them offensively, and that's why the it's so important to be able to keep them out from getting out in transition. And if you could force them to play in the half court, and you can force them to have to shoot the ball from beyond the arc, and force them to settle and clog down driving lanes, and keep RJ from getting to his left hand and getting downhill, and 
um, you know, try to make Cam Reddish into a spot-up shooter, which he has a tendency to kind of just accept that role, I think that they can be beaten. Now, when they decide to show up and Zion is is, is going bonkers and RJ's making threes and Cam Reddish is the guy that's going to, you know, go and get you 27 and, and uh, try to score off the bounce a little bit and, and Jack White is shooting well and Alex O'Connell's shooting well, um, then they are a team that is not going to be beaten. Uh, you know, when they're playing their A game, their A game is better than anybody else's A game, and I think that it's almost unbeatable. But I just don't think that it's necessarily a guarantee that we see that. D- does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of talking myself in circles. Well, no, I think it makes sense that it's not a guarantee you're going to see their A game every night. Uh, for instance, like even without Zion against Virginia Tech, uh, they did not get, like Virginia Tech did not get Duke's A game. You know what I mean? Like you got yeah, RJ playing pretty well. Man, they got lit up. Right. You got Trey Jones, who was pretty good at the point of attack and kind of knocked them out of what they were trying to do a little bit. But there just really wasn't anything else there. And that's the biggest thing that I think. I'm glad that you brought up the defense because without Zion, I don't feel great about this team. And the reason is defense. It's not offense. It's actually defense. I, I am pretty concerned about Duke defensively if Zion isn't there he just cleans up everything for them because look Trey Jones is an awesome defender he'll sometimes get a little bit over aggressive RJ Barrett look RJ is long and he can be occasionally useful and help but he takes some possessions off defensively because of the offensive load that he has Cam Reddish I think is a pretty okay defender but again like you'll occasionally have that like kind of brain fart possession like you see with freshmen sometimes uh you know Marquise Bolden can't guard out in space and they continue to trot him out there like that a lot of their other guys Jack White Alex O'Connell even like Javon Delorier who is really athletic and I think can guard on the perimeter for a big like these guys aren't incredible defenders. Zion is just such a freak of nature that he cleans up so much of what they do defensively. And it's not just like cleaning up. It's not just getting the actual block shot. It is the fact that he is there changes the way that other people play. It changes. Like if no you're question. driving in the lane and Zion's on the floor, like, and you've already seen him put a shot through the fucking backboard. You're, that's going to be in your mind when you're driving. We saw that against Louisville. Like I, I went back and I, I did a big thing on Zion's defense um, for a mock draft that I did like a week ago now. And I went back and I watched like the last eight minutes of that collapse against Louisville. And I swear, man, like Christian Cunningham would get into the lane and he would have a shot where it's like a little 12 foot pull up floater. And he just refused to take it like two or three times because Zion was like six feet away from him. And it's a shot that he had, and I don't think Zion would have gotten there, but it was very obvious that Zion was in his head, and he was not going to take that shot because he saw Zion there. And I'm glad that you brought up the Virginia Tech game because I think that Buzz Williams really showcased like how you can beat this team without Zion. Because basically what they did, it was really simple. Like It wasn't all that complicated of an offense. What they did was they spread everybody out. They had their four shooters on the perimeter, and they more or less just like ball screened to death with Kerry Blackshear. And if Marquise Bolden was on the floor, they, 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 they pulled him away from the rim, like you said, made him defend in space and put Bolden in ball screens. And when Bolden was off the floor and Javon Delory was out there, they just had Kerry Blackshear bury him in the post. And Blackshear's yep. what, like 6'9", 250. So that was the perfect example of like why you need Zion on the floor because he is the guy that can get out and guard in space. He's a guy that can jump. Through. How many times have we seen him, somebody set a ball screen, and he just comes out of nowhere and like picks the pocket of the ball handler and goes the other way and windmills? It's crazy. Like that's probably, yeah, it's happened 
um, probably like once a game when he's out there, somewhere around there. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it feels like no, it feels game. like it happens once a game. Yeah, yeah. So he can do that, and and that has to be in your mind when you're running ball screens when Zion Williamson is on the floor. We already talked about what he does as a rim protector. He's also 280 pounds. Like Kerry Blackshear is not backing him down. He might be able to score in the post over him, but he's not going to bury him under the rim like he was able to do with Jevin Delorier. So Zion is just I can't wait to see them run out like the the Zion uh, death lineups with him at the five. Yeah, because that's when they get that. That's when it gets really fun when when Duke decides to start playing like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, let's let's go to hmm, let's go to North Carolina and Kentucky and kind of combine those two together because North Carolina is a little bit older. Uh, they are a little bit more experienced than Kentucky, but Kentucky by its standards is a little bit older for what they typically have on their roster as well. Uh, both of these teams have a lot of pro talent. Both of these teams have, I would say, some pro talent that to an extent as a freshman has underwhelmed. You can look at EJ Montgomery is, is an example of that. I think at Kentucky, honestly, for me, like I look at Ashton Hagen's a little bit that way. I understand that some people probably wouldn't look at it that way, but I, I have been underwhelmed at times by what Ashton brings to the table. And I'll explain why after I let Rob talk uh, with North Carolina, you've got Nasir Little, obviously, who has underwhelmed pretty substantially this season. I think that that's just a realistic assessment of where he's at. Uh, he still can't consistently play something like uh, 20 minutes a night even. Like, he's played under 20 minutes a night in, you know, three of their last five games. So, I look at North Carolina as in Kentucky as kind of interesting analogs in a lot of ways, even though they're very different teams in that they are incredibly, incredibly talented. For the most part, I trust them on a night to night basis, but there are some pretty real flaws there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think we saw a lot of, especially with Kentucky, a lot of the flaws that they had on Saturday when they got in there and just basically got pistol whipped by Tennessee. And I'm just wondering if like when you're talking about Ashton Hagen's being a little bit underwhelming, did the fact that Jordan bone had 27 points, three assists on 11 to 15 shooting without a single turnover, did that have anything to do with uh, your feeling on Ashton Hagen's? I uh, certainly did, but I'll be honest, like, Everyone talking about like Ashton Hagens as this incredible, ridiculous defender. He certainly creates action plays. He creates chaos. He really is aggressive and will uh, play you strong at the point of attack. But once you get by that point of attack defense, like once you eventually can break his pressure just by being a solid ball handler with a strong dribble, I actually think that he's not a very good defender in like help situations in the half. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear that he spent the majority of his basketball life basically just being a guy that where you say, go guard the ball, ball hawk, and and take the ball from him every time he puts it on the floor. And, and like, by the way, like, I don't mean to say he's a bad player. I, I think he's, like, totally fine on the court. Like, he should be Kentucky's starting point guard. I'm just saying, like, there there are real flaws here. And And here's the thing, like... That's what freshmen are supposed to have. Right. That's what being exactly. that's that's part of being a freshman. Like when you're when you're in high school. And by the way, like I think that he's older than what his age actually is. But didn't he leave high school the year? Like he only played three years of high school basketball, right? So yes, he reclassified. Uh, only played three years of high school basketball, but also is already 19 years old. Turns 20 in July. 
Well, yeah, I'm not the the age thing isn't as isn't the point I'm trying to make is that he right, when exactly. you only play three years of high school basketball, you only get three years of high school coaching. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're um, like as far as your, what your development is. It just means that you don't know. And I think that what we're seeing is he knows how to be an on ball defender because that's just kind of what comes naturally to him. But there's very few guys who get to college and understand like where their rot- rotation is supposed to be and how you're supposed to help and recover and, and exactly what you're supposed to do within a system, which is part of the reason why it's like so difficult to get all these freshmen to come together and go win a national title because you're not supposed to understand all that stuff when you're a freshman. So um, I, that's a long way of saying that, like, yeah, Ashton Higgins makes some mistakes, but I don't think it necessarily – I think there's a reason and a cause for it. And I think that yeah. also comes into play a little bit with Nazir Little, too, who um, I don't think he necessarily knows exactly what he's doing defensively. I don't think he necessarily has picked up what North Carolina's offense is. And I also think, like, he – so he's this, like – yeah, I'm sure you've talked about this plenty on the podcast, but, like, the, this kind of, like, quintessential combo forward, like, in, in terms of what the, the modern NBA is – um, like a mix of a three and a four that can guard these different positions, long arms, whatever, versatile attacks, closeouts, all that kind of stuff. That is like the opposite of what Roy Williams wants in his offense. Like he wants two bigs, he wants two wings, and he wants a point guard. He wants guys that can shoot on the per- from the perimeter. He wants big guys that can post up and go pound the glass. He doesn't want, um, I-, I guess the best way to phrase it is this. The way that the NBA is going, like versatility has be like tweeners have become versatile players, right? And now right. you want that versatility where in the past you didn't want those tweeners because you needed those two bigs and you needed those wings. Roy Williams offense as, as high scoring as it is and as much fun as it can be to watch is very much rooted in principles where you need two bigs where tweeners are not necessarily a good thing. So Nazir little, in addition to being a freshman that maybe, you know, succeeded a little bit at the high school level because he's bigger and more athletic and just played his ass off. It's kind of in a situation where he doesn't necessarily fit perfectly with what Roy Williams is looking for out of guys that play either the three or the four. Yeah, no, I think you're hundred percent right. I have talked about that uh, a lot on the podcast. Uh, look, I, I think that some of the, I don't want to say blame, but like, look, Nasir Little, probably not as good as what, we thought coming out of high school, but also it's a fit problem as much as it is anything else. Nasir Little should still go in the top 12 or whatever of the draft, but uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a combination of both things. But one guy that is obviously terrific is Kobe white. He is just absolutely tremendous at running their offense already as a freshman. His pull-up game is giving them kind of a different dynamic uh, that they haven't really had from a point guard at North Carolina in a little while now because, like, Marcus Page, really, really good distributor. Joel Berry, I would say scorer, but more of an attack-minded scorer, whereas Kobe is a little bit more willing to get to that pull-up game and uh, just make quick-read decisions. I really like what Kobe White has done. I love what Cam Johnson has done. Luke May exists. Like, he's just fine we, we can just say Luke May is fine he should be starting he's probably not much more than that though uh I like North Carolina I don't know that I would necessarily trust them at the level of Duke Gonzaga in Virginia uh to get to a final four yeah I'm uh, and I think it all kind of comes down to Kobe White at least in my mind because he is a guy tell me if you think this is fair he's a little bit of a high variance streaky shot maker true I think that's yeah. accurate and so when he gets it going, like he could do things. Was it? Did he have thirty four the other day against Syracuse, where he absolutely so, went nuts? 
And then so, yeah, I'll, I'll give you his last five games, or maybe even his last seven games. He goes for 28 and five assists against Clemson, 34 and three assists against Syracuse, 10 and three turnovers against Florida State, nine and six turnovers against Duke, 10 and six assists. He was fine against Wake Forest. That's really the only, like, quote-unquote, fine game within this stretch. He has 17 points on 19 shots against Virginia. Uh, then he goes for 33 against Miami and 21 and four against North Carolina State, and then eight against Louisville. He is feast or famine every single time he's going out on the floor. Yeah, and I think that that could be the kind of thing that can come back and bite you. And I think that's why we see, at least earlier on in the season, we saw a little bit of North Carolina being a team that can do things uh, uh, like look really good on one night and then go out and like lose by 20 at home to Louisville another night, like look really good and then go out and yeah. get absolutely boat raced by Michigan on the road. Um, and I think part of it was just because like they don't like when you rely on a freshman point guard to who is inherently like a little bit streaky and a little bit inconsistent, you're going to be a little bit of an inconsistent team. And I think that's also part of the reason why Luke Mays had a little bit of a down year. Like he he's a really good college player and he's really good in the role that he was asked to play last season where he was mostly like a floor spacer and a shot maker and somebody that just had to kind of catch the ball and score. Like he finished in action. He wasn't a guy that was asked to initiate an action. And that's what he's good at. Cause like he can make shots and he can come off of screens and he can pick and pop and you know, he can do all these different things. But if you say, okay, we're going to give you the rock. You got to go make something happen like that. That ain't him. He's not going to do that. And last year they had Joel Berry out there and they had Theo Pinson who was like actually the de facto point guard of their offense. This year, the guy that's kind of replaced uh, Theo Pinson is Kenny Williams, who's like a, def- a three and D guy, and Cam Johnson, who's a pure shooter. And you're out there, and, and and the guy that's running the offense for you is somebody who's like whole game is built around this idea that he can kind of create in his own in isolation off the dribble. That's not necessarily going to work with the skill set that Luke May has. And the promising thing to me is you just listed all those games, right? The game against Duke, he was not good, and they won by 16 in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yes, Zion wasn't there, but they still went out and they kicked Duke's ass with Kobe, uh, with uh, I'm sorry, Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett on the floor. So that was impressive to me. They were able to do that. Luke May had 30 and 15. I think the next night was it Florida State where he did not shoot very well. I think it was like two for nine or whatever it was. Yeah. And they, they, they beat up on Florida State because Nazir Little played his best game and Cam Johnson was really good. So it's promising to me for North Carolina to see on the nights when they don't have Kobe White rolling that they're able to win basketball games because these other guys are kind of stepping up so I, I that does kind of give me a little bit more confidence but i'm still not at the point where i think they belong among those top three i do think their ceiling is that high because like let, let, let's call it like it is when kobe white is going and cam johnson is going and luke may is going those are three of the best scores in 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 the country or, or the best of anybody's top three that like they're going to be up there how many other teams have, have three different guys that can go and get you 30 on any given night? Not that many. So their ceiling is definitely as high as anybody else. I just think that there's a little bit more variance in, in the way that they play, and that is a little bit concerning when it's a one-game knockout event. With Kentucky, uh, I will just kind of bring up uh, Kentucky here so we can get past this all and move on. I, I think Kentucky is like kind of simple in a lot of ways. Like, with Kentucky, they just need P.J. Washington to 
play like an All-American. If P.J. Washington plays like an All-American, they have a genuine night-in, night-out go-to guy who they can trust to get buckets, who they can trust to use length uh, and be an active defender. Uh, and then you assume that one of their guys, such as Tyler Hero, Keldon Johnson, uh, maybe even from time to time Ashton Hagens can get going, can provide the secondary scoring behind P.J. It's when P.J. goes for 13 points like he did against Tennessee or nine points like he did against Arkansas that Kentucky will get into underperformative games. Uh, having said that, over the course of SEC play, basically from January 22nd onward through February 23rd, P.J. Washington had very clearly been the best player in the SEC. So I think that their future basically is just tied to P.J. Washington being the star that he is capable of on this stage. Yeah, I think Cal had a quote earlier this year where he basically said, like, we need P.J. to play like he's trying to get 35 and 20 every single night. He doesn't need to get 35 and 20, but he needs to play like he's trying to get that 35 and 20 because they don't really have another guy that you can look at as a game changer. right? Like Tyler Hero will pop up from now, like every now and again, I have 20, 25 points. And um, I do like him as a second or a third option, but you really just want him to be the guy that that makes it difficult to double off of and that you can run off of screens and, and create a little bit of offense that way. Keldon Johnson is, uh, to me, just like the quintessential kind of complementary piece, right? Like he can attack in a straight line and he's athletic enough to be able to get to the offensive glass. And uh, he's a pretty good defender and he can make some shots. And um, he's a guy that can go out and get you 20 on a night if you absolutely need it. Uh, but I don't think that you want him to be the guy that you had. Like He was the guy for Kentucky early on in the season, and we saw how well they were playing then. It wasn't anywhere near what they were during that, like, what was it, the, the five-week stretch where P.J. Washington was, was a top-five player in the country. That's what they need. When P.J. plays that way, Kentucky's really, really, really good. When he doesn't play that way, Kentucky can be beaten. Yeah, I think that that's 100% right. Uh, you know what I assume? Coach Cal uses, given the fact that he always looks so clean shaven. I would imagine he uses Harry's razors. I'm a huge fan of Harry's razors, even though I am someone who wears a beard. Uh, Rob, you also typically have, I wouldn't say a full beard, but you've got some five o'clock oh, shadow it's, going. It's, it's some... full these days, man. It is oh, full. Oh, is these... it really? There well, here's, we here's the thing. You still need the razors, though, because you got to be able to clean up the neck. You got to make sure that yep. the jawline is like you need that straight line. You can't be having like the Paul Gasol neck beard. You know, the wife doesn't like that. I, I don't know. Uh, many people that do it just doesn't look good. You need to be able to get that that nice line, that nice clean shave underneath. And that's 100% what I use Harry's razors for. Join the 10 million people who've tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y. Look, Harry's founders were tired of paying up for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. They knew that a great shave doesn't come from gimmicks like vibrating heads, flex balls, or handles that look like spaceships. they just fixed it all by combining a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades at a fair price. Uh, they bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that has been making quality blades for over 95 years. Uh, they have over... 
20,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Uh, replacement cartridges are just $2 a piece. That's half the price of the competitors. Uh, and look, all of these blades come with 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, just let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Uh, get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. You're going to get a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade a rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover listeners of my show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash theory make sure you go to harrys.com slash theory to redeem your offer and let them know i sent you to help support the show go to harrys.com slash theory let's run through some just like kind of odds and ends so one thing that i always look at whenever i'm trying to figure out teams that can win the national title or teams that are in the top 10 in both offense and defense according to ken palm Virginia fits that bill. Gonzaga fits that bill. Duke fits that bill. North Carolina fits that bill. Kentucky fits that bill. So that's five of them. Your other teams that fit this bill. Michigan State is sixth in offense and ninth in defense. Michigan is 20th in offense and third in defense. Uh, I believe that those are the only other two. What do you like about the Michigan schools? that makes you think they can go on a run. And we'll start with Michigan because I think that they probably have a little bit better of a chance. I, I mean, they are. there's two things I like about them and the, and the way that they're built. One is they can be very, very good defensively if they have Charles Matthews. There's no guarantee. I think I saw John Beeline said today before they won at Maryland that um, they're hoping to get Charles Matthews back for the start of the NCAA tournament. And I, I just he can absolutely lock people down on the perimeter, on the wing. Um, so having him is definitely useful. Although I do, this might be a little bit of a hot take. I do think that having Isaiah Livers out there as a guy that can shoot it at like 40% from three without that big of a drop off defensively is something that is at the very least uh, interesting um, for, for Michigan if they decide to use him more. I don't the think Livers, that would necessarily... The livers combo as opposed to Matthews in one of those two. Yep. I think that that is a team that can, or that is a lineup that can be uh, pretty effective, so, but it, it's the fact that they can play defense at the level they play defense at, and you have John Beeline offensively. Yeah, one really, thing that's I, I, worth uh, bringing up here, Brazdakis, since Matthews has missed the last two games, 20 points and seven rebounds, 21 points and seven rebounds against Nebraska and Maryland. So he's been really good since Matthews has been out. Yeah, and, and he is a guy that, I don't know if you had a chance to watch that game yet, Sam, but he, in the second half uh, at Maryland, when the crowd started getting on him, like he's one of those dudes where if you start like if the student section starts yelling at him, it, that's the worst thing that yeah. that that crowd could do. Like he feeds off of that. He was like he was the guy that was sitting there like waving it. Come on, like I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And uh, I just I love the way that he plays, man. I don't know um, necessarily how he fits in the NBA or uh, you know if he'll work, but the way that he plays and how tough he is and and kind of the mindset that he has and the fact that like he's also. Uh, gonna go out there and dunk on you and not afraid to do it with that like corny ass Roger Klotz haircut. I just I love everything <laughs> about him. Like he doesn't even care that I he has an awful haircut and he's just out there dunking on people. I love it. I love it. I love everything about him. I do too. Uh, his mentality is great. I think so. I did watch that game. He had to have drawn ten fouls. Like it seriously felt like he drew ten fouls in that game. It it was uh it was a little bit frustrating since I may have had a little bit of a wager on the other side of uh. 
of that result. But yeah, um, that was. Uh, you no, know, I, I can't even be mad if Iggy's going to go out there and, and and do Iggy things. I can't really hate on that. And and the other thing, and like I had no idea that Xavier Simpson was as good in ball screens as he's been over the course of the like last I don't know two months or whatever it is. Like he he actually kind of knows what he's doing a little bit, and he's got this little he's developed the sky hook. Like I don't I don't. For people that haven't watched Michigan play yet, you're going to be absolutely enamored with this guy the first time you see it because he's like five foot eleven. I, I I've heard that he's able to dunk. I've never seen him dunk. I've never seen actual proof of it myself. But Brendan Quinn, your colleague at the Athletic, has told me that he's witnessed a dunk, and I I think that I could probably trust Brendan on that. But I kind of want to see it myself. Either way. Xavier Simpson, not really all that great of an athlete. Like he, he's kind of stocky, and he'll come out here like the. They don't even guard him out. It's like Trey Jones. They don't guard him out to the three point line because they dare him to shoot. Like he's 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 uh, a weakness offensively for Michigan. But like he's got this this fucking sky hook, this running sky hook where he'll drive to the lane, go into his right hand, and be running away from the basket and literally throw the ball like over his shoulder. It is a sky hook from a five foot eleven dude that he banks in, and the ball. I swear it's going to be like. 14, 15 feet in the air before it starts coming down. It's the it might be the most unbelievable shot in college basketball that anybody makes, and he makes like five of them a game. He made five tonight against Maryland, and that's part of the reason they won. I just I, I'm I'm completely blown away that that shot actually exists. It's my favorite thing about the sport. I just I love it. I love it so much. It is a completely bizarre thing. I will also note that Xavier Simpson has ten assists in three of his last four games. Uh, he's been really really good uh, in dealing with ball screens. That's a hundred percent an excellent assessment by you. Uh, Can I say one more thing? Yes, please. I would not at 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 plus fourteen hundred. I would not take that Michigan bet. I I, I just don't. I don't think that they can get it done six in a row. I know so, I just said how much I love them, and I know I said all of that stuff, but I, I just I have a very hard time seeing a team that has three guys, three of their best five, being as offensive limited, offensively limited as they are, winning six in a row in March. So let's move on. Let's talk about two teams that have elite units on one side of the floor. And I think because of that can carry them to a final four, Tennessee's offense, Texas Tech's defense, Texas Tech has the best defense in college basketball, Tennessee, the third best offense, uh, general thoughts on those teams, Texas Tech. I believe in Chris Beard a lot, as I know that you do. We are both like massive Chris Beard stands. We think he's like one of the 10 best coaches in the country, uh, they have enough offense, I think, to get by because Jarrett Culver is going to be a lottery pick. Uh, Matt Mooney can at least create offense a little bit and knock down shots. Davide Moretti can really, really shoot it from deep. Uh, and then they're getting contributions from Brandon Francis. So as long as all of those secondary pieces behind Culver can continue to make shots, I believe in Texas Tech as a potential Final Four team. Tennessee, again, I believe in their experience. If they're going to get good Jordan Bone guard play, I think they have a real chance as well to get to the final. Yeah, the the big thing with me with Tennessee is they have to be able to be really good defensively, and they haven't been really good defensively this year. And that's one of the like weirder things for me about the season, just in general, is that this team that was that returns everybody from a group that was like I think they finished last year sixth nationally in, in Ken Palm's uh, adjusted defensive efficiency metric, and they're just not good this year. And that's what was more, even more promising than like Jordan Bone laughing at everybody that said like, oh, they don't have any NBA guards. They don't have any game-changing talents in their backcourt. Uh, that was me. I was saying that as to why Tennessee couldn't win. Then he went out and put 27 on 11 for 15, 5 for 5 from 3, 3 assists, no turnovers against Kentucky. So he kind of laughed at me a little bit. But it's their defense 
in that game. That was the best defensive performance that they've had this season. I, I, I'm not sure what the exact numbers was. I did kind of like the random uh, points per possession thing afterwards. It was uh, what was it? Point eight points per possession that they had. So it's uh, they had fifty two and sixty six. Fifty two and sixty six. That's better than point eight. Number, yeah. That's like point seven nine something or other. But yeah, that's their best defensive performance of the season, um, especially considering the opponent that they were playing and the level that that opponent was playing at coming into the game. So um, if they can get back to like, if that's what they are defensively now, that kind of effort that they played with, I think that is uh, that that's a difference maker for them. Um, They are a little bit weird. Like we talked about this, Sam, they're hyper efficient on the offensive end of the floor, but they don't do it the way that you normally think of teams being hyper efficient, right? Like they're not this kind of Maury ball, uh, threes, layups, and free throws kind of a team. Like, they run a lot of stuff through the post. They take a lot of two-point jumpers. Um, everything, it, what the, a lot of what they do offensively is built around this idea that, like, Grant Williams can create space and can can uh, post people up and can pass out of the post. And I just want uh, them to fucking shoot threes. That's all I want them to do. I want them to shoot threes because Grant Williams can actually shoot, and the fact that he never shoots them astounds me and frustrates me. Yes, and, and they love love 17 foot jumpers more than anybody in the history of basketball even like the mid 1990s guys where like everybody thought the mid-range game was it was exactly what you needed to win in basketball they love it more than those guys like they are definitely a throwback to like uh you know watching like some mid to late 90s uh basketball teams play just in like the style and and not necessarily the stuff that they run, but the shots that they end up getting are not what you would expect out of a team that is third nationally in offensive efficiency. Like, no. uh, I'm looking at the number right now. 24.6% of their points come from beyond the three-point line, whereas last year, like Villanova, that team got way more than that. I don't have the, the exact number in front of me, but they got way more than that. Everything that they did was built around the ability to make threes. Um, and as far as Texas Tech is, is concerned, I think I'm getting close to moving all in. I just invested. You, you've in, been I, all I, in. You've been all in since like January. Let's be very clear on this. Yes. No. I've I've been I've been way in on them. But then they had that that stretch where they lost four out of five and they lost three in a row. And then Jarrett Culver forgot how to shoot for a month. And then their offense just really really got bogged down. But they've really 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 shot the ball over the course of the last month. Like they've won. What is it now? Um, Eight of their last nine, nine of their last ten. They've won their last seven, I know that. Seven in a row and nine of their last ten. And in those nine games, like they are just shooting the shit out of it. And if they can keep shooting the shit out of it, if they if David Moretti is gonna be this guy that makes forty six percent of his threes, and Matt Mooney is a guy that can keep knocking down like upwards of forty percent of his threes, and they're getting something from Brandon Francis and Kyler Edwards and Deshaun Corpru are, are making their shots and making defenses have to respect them beyond the arc. Like that opens everything up. Cause all of a sudden then you have these lineups where Jarrett Culver is basically like your point guard running all of your ball screen actions, but he's also your power forward. And you have all these shooters on the floor with him running ball screens where Tariq Owen is diving at the rim, who is like the best lob catcher uh, this side of Brandon Clark. Like that is a really, really dangerous offense. And they are elite defensively. Like they are the best. Uh, the numbers is kind of come back down to earth a little bit. But as of two weeks ago, they were the best defense that we have seen in the Kempom era. They are the redneck Virginia. Fair enough. They are the redneck Virginia. I love that. Uh, they also have a ton of guys that are like super old too. Um, like Tariq Owens is 23. Brandon Francis is 24. Odiasi is 23. 
I want to say Matt Mooney is either 22 or 23. He's at least 22. I know that. I mean, it's his fifth year in college, so. Yeah, so he's probably 23. So, like, look, this is an old team. They're led by a legit NBA prospect in Jarrett Culver. Uh, They are, in my opinion, I actually really like what they do defensively a little bit more than Virginia because I think they're a little bit more versatile defensively. They can run different schemes at you, whereas Virginia is basically solely pack line. You'll see Texas Tech switch a little bit. Their defense is essentially based by forcing everything post or uh, uh, baseline. I'm sorry. They want to force everything baseline. But it's like the are, exact opposite of the pack line. The pack line, you want everything to go to the middle. And with what Chris Beard does, he might, makes everything go to the baseline. And instead of like having with the pack line, they want you to drive into the paint and basically have like three people there and to be able to jump out on the like as soon as you kick it out, they want to be right there on the catch. Whereas with Chris Beard, they want you to drive baseline and they, they basically want to get a trap right there, like a foot outside of the block on the baseline and get two people yeah. right there looking for charges, looking to get steals. If you try to throw the, uh, the, the baseline, but the, the baseline drift and you try to look for that pass, they want to be able to jump that passing lane. Yeah. Um, and they want to make you look for the pass where you got to throw it like over the top across to the opposite wing, which is might be the hardest pass in basketball to make. So it's very, very different in terms of what they're actually doing. But the thing that they both do the same is just guard the hell out of you. Okay. So let's, uh, can anyone in the big East be trusted? Oh my god! Like I, I want, I want to love Marquette so much. There I got is the no league that I've made. More, I've like lost more money on than the Big East. There's no doubt in my mind. I've lost so much money on the Big East. I got Marquette at plus twenty thousand in October before anybody realized that like Marcus Howard is going to go absolutely bonkers, and the Housers were actually good, and they were probably actually going to be able to defend this year. I got them at plus twenty thousand, and I so badly want to be able to say, Sam, you know what? Marquette, you could trust them. They're going to go out there and they're going to win a national title. But I, I don't, I don't think I do. Like I think that Marquette to me is kind of like in the same conversation as LSU at this point, where I think that they are good enough to beat anybody in college basketball on any given night when their shots are falling. You know, like if Marcus Howard is going to go out there and give you one of these fifty-point nights, which like he's fully capable of against anybody, then they're probably going to end up winning. The Housers can each go out and get you like twenty-five and thirty, um, and and when those guys are doing that, then you don't even really have to worry about Marcus Howard uh, whether or not he's shooting well because they can go out and win you a game. You know, Sacker and M has been a lot better recently, or uh, I don't want to say a lot better recently. He's been effective as like that kind of. Uh, third score when teams focus on Howard and the Housers, and and he's been able to take advantage of that. I think he had 18 in the win at home um, against Villanova, but they only really have like one guy that can handle the ball, and that guy right. is Marcus Howard, and he's kind of a scorer more than he is a creator, and um, they can be turnover prone. What they have today, 22 against Creighton, 22 turnovers against Creighton. That was bad. Yes, that was that, really that was... really bad. They're 250 in the country in turnover rate. They are seventh in the Big East in turnover rate. Yes, and that is that. I mean, that's a serious concern because once you start running into good defense, like, and, and here's the other thing: they were kind of like a borderline top twenty-five team during non-conference play, and then they just started whooping everybody's ass in Big East play. And it kind of turns out that like nobody in the Big East is actually all that good. So all Marquette's right. out here kicking everyone's ass and going on this like long winning streak and getting vaulted into the top ten. They're not really doing it against anyone that actually matters. You know, who cares if Marcus Howard can go out and put 53 on Creighton at Creighton if Creighton is a 15 and 13 team? Who cares? Yeah, I, really I actually team, I actually don't think the Big East is very good at all. Like, I think Marquette is a top 25 team. 
I do not think they're a top 15 team. Yes, I, it's it sucks because I felt so good about that for so long. And I was like, this this might actually happen. Like, the, I, I might actually get paid out this plus 20,000. And it's not going to happen, Sam. I've 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 come to that realization. You know, there's times in this in this life where you realize that your dreams are going to die. And my dream of being able to cash a ticket of Marquette at plus twenty thousand to win the national title, I, I've just accepted the fact that that's probably going to end up dying in the first weekend. You got to find someone that'll buy that ticket you for you for two to one. What uh, I'm thinking about doing place. is is the 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 app that I use. I'm not going to say it because it's a competitor, but. The app that I use has like a cash out thing, and right now it's cashing out at like three to one. So I yes, think I'm do that. Doing, it's like I'm no question. About, I yeah. might wait. I might wait until we get a little bit closer to the NCAA tournament to see if I can get it up a little bit more. But that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Yeah, uh, and then you know, and they're going to go out and win the national title, and I'm going to blame you for it. I will say Villanova. Uh, I had a lot of faith in them. I would say like right around the start of February, then they drop four or five to Marquette, St. John's, Georgetown, Xavier. Not as excited as I once was, but they've rebounded with wins over Marquette and Butler now. They are really not great on the road. They have figured things out at home now. They actually are not bad uh, anymore whenever they have to play at home. So I I think Villanova is a sweet 16 team. I will say that if I could get Villanova like two to one three to one to make the sweet 16 i would probably do that yeah and it's because you're basically just saying like phil booth and eric pascal are going to be good enough where they can beat a a four uh, a 12 seed or a 13 seed and then they're going to be good enough that it's like villanova and they can go out and they can win a game against a four or a five seed whoever they end up playing in the second round that's basically what you're saying and i i don't um, necessarily disagree with that although uh, i will like to point out that in the last five years Villanova has done two things in the NCAA tournament. You know what those two I things know. are? They've won the national title and they've lost in the second round. They're, they've yeah, never been a Sweet 16 team. They, I'm like, not this last, year. You know what? I'm going to look it up right now. When was the last time that Villanova was just a Sweet 16 team? Uh, 2008. 2008. 2008 was the last time they were just a Sweet 16 team. That's what you're betting on, Sam. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, Kansas. What happened to Kansas this year? Uh, Why are they bad? Got- Everybody got hurt. Yes, I mean, I think it's really is. just that simple. Well, it's everyone got hurt. Uh, LeGerald Vick, you know, all all hopes to LeGerald Vick figuring out what's going on with him. And, uh, you know, everything good to Yudoka Azubuke, who's dealing with another injury again. But even beyond those two guys, this, this roster is just, like, not incredibly talented. No, it's not. And um, the, the big thing for me is, like, they kind of – they were going to go into the season and basically build everything around – Doak and what he can do in the post and say like, look, if you're going to guard him one-on-one, he's going to score every time we give it to him. And once you lose that, then you have to change everything that you want to do. And I think doing that, if you have a team full of seniors is something that, that might actually be fairly easy to do because seniors can pick it up. You probably play different styles throughout the course of uh, their career at the school, but they're now starting four freshmen, one of whom was supposed to be a red shirt. <laughs> and it's not like easy to go out and just change things on the fly when you're starting with four freshmen, one of whom was supposed to be a red shirt. So uh, I think that's part of it as well. Um, and, you know, when, when you lose, like Udoka was going to be their second leading scorer. The Gerald Vick was their second leading scorer this season. Um, when you lose two guys like that, it's just I don't know how many teams in the country where you could take away like two of their top three scores, two of their top four scores, whatever it is, and they'll be anywhere near as good as they were with those two guys in the mix. 
So is this the year the streak ends? Texas Tech has Texas, Iowa State. Kansas State has TCU, Oklahoma. And Kansas has Oklahoma, Baylor. Is this the year the streak ends? Kansas is currently one game behind both Kansas State and Texas Tech. I mean, I'm, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to say no. And that's just because for the last 14 years, Kansas has found a way to get it done. So I'm just going to keep saying that they're going to find a way to get it done and they're going to find a way to get lucky. And I know that I'm basically saying that like Kansas State and Texas Tech are both going to choke, but I kind of think Kansas State and Texas Tech are like both going to end up choking. Although I do, you know, I I secretly kind of hope that Texas Tech loses their next two so that like plus 2200, maybe we can get it to like plus 35. What do you think about that, Sam? <laughs> I'd be in on that. I, if that if that gets up to thirty, I'm there. I am a hundred percent on that boat. Uh, I think Kansas loses on Tuesday to Oklahoma. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it ends there. Yeah, it, I mean it might. They almost lost at Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State is not very good. Yep, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, although I will good say guards, this about Oklahoma good State. perimeter play. I think that they figure it out at home. I will say this about Oklahoma State. Mike Boynton has to be like a top ten most entertaining coach to play for, and I say that because. Nobody on his team has any kind of like a red light. They have the ultimate green light. They have just a bunch of shooters that go out there and get their shots up. And that is 100% the kind of coach that I would want to play for. So I don't know. Like, I'll be honest. I haven't watched enough Kansas State over the last uh, two years to really know. Oklahoma State, you mean? Yeah, what did I say? Kansas State? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched enough Oklahoma State to fully have an opinion on whether or not Mike Boynton is like the answer to that team. But I do think that he is the kind of guy that will get players to show up that want to just come and play because they want to put up shots. And I think eventually they're going to be a team that's going to score a lot of points. And I hope that he stays around for a while because I do really like watching teams where you get a bunch of guys that can shoot and they're they're just out there chucking. I mean, like Lindy Waters is out there throwing up 30 footers with, with no it's regard great. for human life. It's great. The, Same with Ziaga too. Yeah, I don't I have no idea how to pronounce his name. It like starts with a D and a Z, and there's a W yeah, and a G. They're like Ziagua. It's, uh, it's that, and he's out there firing up thirty footers with no regard for human life. It's 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 so much fun to watch them play. And once he, I don't want to say once he gets like better players in the mix, but once he kind of gets a little bit more uh, of his guys in there, let's put it like that. I think that's a nicer nicer way to say it. Uh, I do think that they're going to be um, one of those dangerous teams that they can go out and get like 15 threes on a given night and beat you. They almost beat Texas Tech on the road the other night, hitting 17 of them. Let's uh, let's talk about Indiana because Indiana to me is the most hilarious team in college basketball. Uh, they have, you know what their tournament resume is better than I do. What What is their like quadrant breakdown? Because it's like six quadrant one wins and what like, w- tell me, tell me the rest of it. So they're they're fifteen and fourteen overall, but I want to say like they have they're five and ten against quadrant one, and then four and four against quadrant two or something like that. I'm going to bring it up right now, but it's they they are um, they're, they're the team that's going to drive everybody insane this year because they're probably going to end up getting an at large bid if they get it done in the last two games, and I I believe it is um, they're very winnable. They get they're at Illinois and then they get Rutgers at home. If they win those two games, they're probably going to end up getting in the tournament. So they're six and nine against Quadrant One. They're one and five against Quadrant Two, and they don't have any bad losses at all this year. They have beaten Michigan State at home. They beat Michigan State on the road. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Mark. They beat Louisville. They won at Penn State, which by the way is a top fifty win at this moment in time. They beat Butler on a neutral. There aren't very many teams in college basketball 
have seven wins as good as Indiana seven wins. Yeah, it probably, makes no sense. They're, they're probably going to get in the tournament. And like, here's the other part about it: like, even with all those losses, there are teams like Creighton. We just talked about them being 15 and 13. They're very much in the mix. Like, they're probably going to end up being like first four out in every bracket on Monday morning. You know, like Texas is 16 and 13. They're probably like a, a 10 seed right now. Yeah, Texas is like very State. solidly in. Yes, it, it's 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 going to be very frustrating for people that don't realize how bad the Pac-12 is and how bad the A-10 is and how bad the Mountain West is once you get past the top two and the fact that the WCC is only going to end up being a one-bid league. People are going to lose their minds over this, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and to answer your question, like what happened with Indiana, um, I think it's a combination of – they are young in the spots you don't want to be young. The guys that were left over are not quite as good as we thought they were going to end up being. They've dealt with a lot of injuries, and Romeo Langford was overhyped. And I think you put all those things together, and like a win over Marquette and a win over Louisville very early in the season set a level of expectation for this team and for this program that they are, like, quite frankly, just not good enough to live up to. Now, I don't know if I would say Archie Miller has done a great job this year. I don't think I would say that he's done a bad job this year. I think that he's been, like, fine. You know, I wouldn't say that he's coach of the year. I wouldn't say that he deserves to be fired. He's been fine. But the combination of those early wins with the hype they had at the start of the year, with the fact that Romeo Lankford, who was supposed to be the savior of all things Indiana, coming into the program made people think that this was, like, a top 15 basketball team at one point. And I don't think they they, they – they they just were never that. And yeah. I think that put all those things together and it kind of hit a head that like came to a head. They played this ridiculous stretch where I think they had like six straight games against top 20 teams or something like that. They lost all of them. They completely lost their confidence. And then they basically had to rebuild that thing from the ground up. And, you know, they're coming off a week where they beat Wisconsin at home and they beat Michigan state at home. And I, I think that kind of tells you what they can be when they get, when they figure this thing out. Give me your favorite mid-majors here. We're about to get some afternoon basketball, so give me give me the teams that we should be betting on during afternoons. That, that we should be betting on, betting on or that you should be watching? That you should be watching, we'll say. I mean, uh, we, can, we can talk about some undervalued teams a little bit in a little bit here, but I, I would say uh, who you should be betting on or who you should be watching. You should definitely watch Wofford because they are a team a little bit like Oklahoma State, and I think you're going to see a trend of the teams that I like here, Sam. I don't know if I'm kind of giving that away, but <laughs> they shoot a ton of threes. They have this guy named Fletcher McGee, and like if you've never seen him play, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling all of you, you have to go watch him because the shots that he takes make absolutely no sense. They're like he'll come off of, They'll come off of a curl from 27 feet out, catch it with his back to the basket, and pivot in the air and get the shot up. And it looks like the kind of like, remember the shot that Derek Fisher hit in the NBA finals against the Spurs with 0.4 seconds on the clock, that like turnaround jumper on the yeah. inbounds in like 2004 or something like that. Every shot that Fletcher McGee takes looks exactly like that shot. And he hits like 40% of his threes and they're from 27 feet. It's so much fun to watch. And their starting backcourt is named Storm Murphy and Fletcher McGee. How can you not like that's the perfect mid-major right there. Everything that you need. They make a ton of threes. They got a guy that can get you 40 on any given night and their guards are named Storm and Fletcher. Give me all the Wofford. And Fletcher McGee looks like a Fletcher McGee. (laughs) He does. He really does look like a Fletcher McGee. Uh, That's a good way to put it. Um, Really looks like a Fletcher McGee. 
Let me ask you this. Where do you stand on uh, on the two-bid SOCOM? Uh, should happen. Strongly yes. think it should happen. Uh, I mean, like, are you, are you saying, like, one of Furman or Wofford, like, both of them should get in? I think that they're, they're really the only UNC two Greensboro. That I, I think Greensboro what, doesn't really have a chance to get at large. Are they going to? Are they get the four seed in the tournament? Or are they going to end up being the two seed? I think they're the two seed, right? Uh, I believe that they are the two seed. Yes. So the only I, there's a scenario. Let me see if I can bring up the SoCon tournament um, because the scenario of them being able to get three teams in the dance is that Wofford has to lose in the semifinals to either Furman or UNC Greensboro, and then those two play for the title. So one of them ends up getting the automatic bid and the team that beat Wofford can end up getting an at large bid because they picked up that win over Wofford, who by the way is top 15 in the net at this very moment. So with Furman, the hope with Furman is they've beaten Villanova. Uh, the loyal Chicago win doesn't really mean anything anymore. Like it's a quadrant two win probably, but it's really not as valuable as what people thought it was. Uh, they have beaten none of East Tennessee State or UNC Greensboro on the road this year. I, and like UNC Greensboro, looking at this too, like they have, I, I believe, one or two top 100 Ken Palm wins. No, they have they have one quadrant one win, and that's what it yeah. is. But they don't have any, they, they have no losses outside of quadrant one. Yeah, their, one their only losses are LSU, Kentucky, Wofford twice, and Furman. And what you have to ask yourself is, what is more impressive? Being Creighton, where you get all these chances to get quad one wins, finish uh, 18 and 14, and get a bid? Or is it UNC Greensboro going out and winning 27 games in a conference that has more teams ranked in the top 75 of the net than the Pac-12 does? Oh, yeah. The top four in the SoCon is much better than the top four in the Pac-12, which is hilarious. They're they're really, really legit. Um, The problem with Furman's resume is they also have a quad four loss, and their non-conference strength of schedule was 270th. Yes. That's not ideal. But they're going to be good. There's two other teams that you got to watch in the mid-major ranks, and I know that you're going to be all in with me on these two teams. It's Belmont and Murray State. I'm sure that your listeners have heard plenty about John Moran at this point. Um, but Also heard about, plenty about Dylan Windler too. So we're, yeah, we're all in on both these teams. He's really good. But here's the thing. This is what you need to root for. You need Belmont to get the, the Ohio Valley title game where they lose to Murray State and John Moran. Because I don't think Murray State has any chance in hell of getting an at-large bid. They have no top 125 wins on, uh, on, um, on the net. None. Zero. Their best win is at Austin P. Just think about that. But Belmont, they they are five and one against quadrant one and quadrant two teams. They've won at Murray State. They swept Lipscomb, who was a top fifty team. They won at UCLA. They have all those wins. They have three bad losses though, so they can only like if they're going to end up being a team that gets an at large, they're going to have to like only lose to Murray State in the Ohio, Ohio Valley tournament. And if that happens, and we can get a two bit OVC, like look, Belmont can go out there and win a game. We've seen them do it before, and I want nothing more to see John Morant have a chance to try to put up 50 points on some four seed. The realistic circumstance here is that only one of these teams get in. Who would you rather see Belmont and Rick Bird's offense or John Morant? Oh man. That's like saying this is is a hot take. This is a hot take. I would rather have Rick Bird's offense because God, that is just beautiful. Yeah, it is. And like, I, I love that Belmont program, everything about it. Um, 
I've been like I, I went down there for a Battle of the Boulevard game when we did our road trip in 2012. It, that, everything about that program is awesome. That said, I, I want give me John Morant. I think yeah. the tournament is about the stars. The tournament is about seeing um, somebody like him who's going to be a top five pick go out. Like I, I would love to see him go out and get like who could they play kind of like in that four seed range that would be entertaining as hell. Like imagine uh, if he didn't play LSU. Yes, LSU would be hilarious. Florida State would be hilarious. Oh, uh, be so much. That would be great. They would. They would beat Houston. I will just say that now. I think they would beat Houston. Belmont would beat Houston. Coming in hot with the Belmont or with the Houston takes. Yeah, I'm not a Houston guy. I will say. I'd love to see them play Nevada. That would be a lot of fun. Like Houston has beaten uh, Utah State and LSU. Those are really the only two wins that like impress me at all. Yep. I mean, you're not wrong. It's not like the American is all that great. They beat Oregon with Bull Bull. I mean, maybe they'll get like credit for that. I I don't think they should. But uh, I mean, like, do you think Cincinnati is good? I'm not real sure about that. Like Cincinnati is no pros. Uh, I mean, UCF, I guess like is interesting and i guess they're a tournament team yeah um, they are now they should be they're not a lock yet but they as long as they don't lose out like they basically have to win one more game and they'll be in the tournament yeah so i don't know i, I think they would beat the like I, I don't think they would kill houston but i think they would beat houston um trying to think the other hilarious team that people like have in to me is florida i just want to mention that uh i, I don't I think florida that. is any good like i don't think they're a good basketball team they're not they're not, but they're the the guys that were supposed to be their two best players are Kavon Allen and Jalen Hudson, who are like the two most inconsistent players in the history. Hundred percent. But like, look at their resume. They've beaten LSU and like LSU. Well, that's the thing about them. Like that's that's what I'm saying about these high major teams that are going to get in that people are going to be frustrated about because they have all these losses, but there are no bad losses on their resume because like the way that things are shaking out, like everybody in the Big Ten is basically a top 100 team at this point, which means that the yeah. worst loss that you could possibly get is a quadrant two loss. So none of these teams are going to have any bad losses. So when we end up looking at some looking at somebody like Florida, we're going to say, well, they lost. They they only lost games that they were supposed to lose, and they did end up beating LSU on the road. And and LSU is, you know, gonna they're they're fine. They're good. They're talented. But that's that's going to be the kind of thing that ends up pissing people off because how many wins do you think Belmont would get if you gave them twelve chances at quadrant one wins? Six. Four, five, six, no, something like maybe that. Maybe not six. Probably five. I would say. It, I mean, it, the the other part of it is like winning at the at number one, winning at Gonzaga, and winning at like who's number? I think Georgetown is number seventy five in the net right now. Those are those are both quadrant one wins. So you also have to understand that like we need to take this in a little bit of context. You know, I'm glad that they're grouping one to thirty for home wins and one to seventy five for road wins is all quadrant one wins, but you have to be able to have the mental capacity to understand that not every quadrant one win uh, means the same thing. It's just, it's a grouping tool. Um, But I do think that like Florida, I I don't think they're going to get in the tournament. I would have them on the wrong side of the bubble right now. The last thing that we're going to do on this podcast, Rob, you and I have been playing a game since I've started this massive, like coaches poll project. Let's do it. Have you read any of the things that I've written? I have, I have not yet. And the only good. reason I haven't okay, read any good. of them is because I want to be able to guess for these quotes because I was hoping you would ask me on the podcast. Okay. So for people who don't know, I released this big 15-story project over at The Athletic this week where I talked to 50 college basketball assistants. I uh, gave them total anonymity and said, break down this guy for me, break down his game, uh, and tell me what 
you think of him as a player. It led to some very honest assessments. Kansas fans and North Carolina fans were not super happy with me after the Quentin Grimes and Nasir Little articles that I posted. Uh, Generally, it was a fun project. And these guys gave me really, really honest feedback. I think that one thing that I will note is that their motives are not nearly as nefarious as what uh, I think people think like every, every like fan base will come at you and be like oh like these coaches they just like lie to the media and tell you like you know what you think you want to hear or uh you know they, they have these ulterior motives in your experience like college coaches just like want to talk basketball right like this is this is not something that really happens all that often a, a lot of them will spin it but what people don't understand is like when we're talking to assistants we're we're talking to guys that like spend two years at a school and move on like right. they mostly just they, they want to pick your brain for ideas and see like what you've seen about different guys and all that. And they also just want to talk basketball. And right. for, for like a lot of these guys, it's not, you know, it's different when you're dealing with somebody that's like, um, I don't know, like when you're dealing with Goodman or you're dealing with cats or you're dealing with Parrish, like somebody at that level, like guys like us, it's very different in terms of what we do. You know, we're not necessarily breaking news. We're not bartering. Uh, this guy's going to transfer, but you have to put my name into this conversation for this um, coaching posi- the coaching position, right. if that makes sense. Like, for the most part, like, whenever I'm talking to a coach, I'm basically like, hey, like, what did you see out of this guy? Or, you know, what was the offense that you were running? Or why did why do you think that – uh, dribble hand like this dribble handoff action worked or you know was this the first time that you had ever um, played a ball screen that way like I don't remember see- you seeing that before that's a very different conversation than trying to barter information exactly right so here here will be my first one to you so I'm going to read a quote from a coach and Rob has to guess what the play who the player is so uh, before we do this are we these are all going to be like relevant NBA guys right yes like I'm NBA not gonna so like I have like Cameron Crutwig on here. Like, I'm not going to ask you about like, Cameron <laughs> Crutwig. Is that the that's the big guy from Loyola, right? Right. Bro, um, lock him into the lottery. 2021. Pro- he is probably the most obscure person I have on this list. I would say uh, maybe Isaiah Isaiah Reese at Canisius. He's on this list somewhere. Isaiah, um, never even heard of him. Yeah, like there there are some guys like <laughs> B.J. Stith is on here. Rajon. I know him. Old Dominion. Uh, you know Rajon Tucker too, because oh yeah, that's my guy. I love Rajon. Uh, Justin Turner. Do you know what school Justin Turner plays at? Justin Turner. Yeah, he's the isn't he the third baseman for the Dodgers? Nailed it. Uh, little guard at Bowling Green. But all right. So I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna read a quote, and Rob's gonna have to guess who it is. A Let's lot of people. A lot of a lot of people rave about blank. I'm not a huge fan. Can he make shots? I don't know. The other part is, what is his position? Everyone is enamored by saying he can play so many positions. Well, what's he going to do? To what is he going to do at the next level? Where does he translate? Where he can get some shit done? Does he have the ability to make perimeter jumpers? And is his handle tight enough? Because when he's in traffic, he's going to spin. Defense-wise, can he stay in front of his guy? I see the potential. People are enamored based off of potential, but I just don't see that. So. You said he can if he gets in traffic, he's going to spin. Yep. And he's got to tighten up his handle. Yep. And he's a versatility guy. Yep. That can make shots. Is it? Is this Jarrett Culver? It is not. But you're in the right league, I will say. I'm in the right league. Is it Dedrick Lawson? No. Um, yeah, because it's like if we're talking about potential, um, it's definitely I don't not think Dietrich. that I don't think DJ Dedrick Lawson is in the uh, the potential conversation. He's kind of reached the ceiling of what i think his potential is um right league so let me think hold on running through dean wade 
It's not Dean Wade. Am I in the right ballpark? Not really. All right, let me. I need to. I need to look at the list of Big Twelve. Like this. This is. Uh, it's a lot more fun when we do this on text because. Yeah. Um, it does. Like it, it's not as as awkward as this. Is it? Is it Talon Horton Tucker? It is. You nailed it. There it is. Bam. Got it. That's only four. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. I think he's an NBA player. I really do. He's efficient. He elevates on his shot the way NBA players elevate on their shot. He's quick. He defends multiple positions. He's a tough winner. He takes games over. He makes NBA length threes. When he's open, he shoots like he knows it's going in. He's a matchup problem, used to guarding bigger players because he plays bigger in their defensive system. He's an NBA player, no doubt. He's sneaky explosive around them. He's huge, and he gets up quick. Ooh. Is it PJ Washington? It is not, but you're in the right ballpark in terms of player type. Right ballpark in terms of player type. Used to guarding bigger players. That's definitely not Rui. It's not Rui. Yeah, it's definitely not Rui. Um, is that is it DeAndre Hunter? It's not DeAndre Hunter, but still the same right ballpark in terms. Oh, of Eric Pascal. It's Eric Pascal. Yep. Bam. Pretty good. Four four again. I think that's right. Four again. Yep. All right. Extremely talented. I think he has a high feel. I think his ceiling is really high if he truly cares about being great at basketball. If he really works his game and grinds at it and has this idea that he has to work to be in a player, then I think his ceiling is extremely high. I don't think there's any doubt he'll be at the next level in the NBA if that's the case. The question is if he's willing to do it on a day-to-day basis, really work on his game, bring it every day, Bring it every game with all of that. I don't know him. I don't know the situation, but that's the question mark. From a talent perspective, there's no lack of talent. Shooting it, driving it, handling it, size, he's got all those qualities. Our initial game plan was to make him put the ball on the deck, and then he made some good plays when he put the ball on the deck. Is that Kevin Porter? It is not, but you're in the right class of player. The right class of player, huh? The right class of player. And by that, I mean the... uh, the class in terms of you know freshman sophomore junior season. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, no, I got that. Um, is it Cam Reddish? It's not Cam Reddish. That fits though. That fits. Was, that's a good fit. That's a good guess. Yeah. Oh man, it's not Cam. Is it? Oh, this is a good one. Because I don't think it's Romeo. 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 It's not works, Romeo. Yeah, Romeo yeah, works. Romeo works. Romeo cares. But we're talking about like a, a shot maker. Is it? Is it Kobe White? It's not Kobe White. Is it it's Kobe not White? Kobe White. Not Kobe White. It's not Kobe White. This is a good one. Oh, is it, uh, is it the guy I can't pronounce his name at Illinois? No. Ayo. No. Ayo. It's not Ayo. It's Ayo not is also a hard worker and a guy who like gets after it. All right. So I'm going to take one more guess and then we can then then we can uh, keep it moving. I feel kind of I don't I feel I feel so weird just sitting here trying to think of somebody. The good news is that if you're silent, I can like. Totally exit that out by truncating so, silence on here. So, so just stop. It's not as bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it Lou Dort? It's not Lou Dort. It is Nas Reed. Nas Reed. Oh shit! I should have gotten that one. Fuck! I should have got. I should have gotten that one. Why did I think it was a wing though? I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm just mad, like make shots. I'm mad at myself now. Yeah. I'm mad at myself uh, that I should have gotten that one. Okay. So I'm gonna read you two for this guy. I'm a big blank guy. They do nothing offensively which makes him so much better. He gets no setup at all. He's creating his own shots. How many ball screens do you have to come off of per game? 40, 50. His efficiency scares me, but I buy him. Second, blank is who he is. He'll get drafted because he can score, but I don't think he does anything else. I don't think he's a winner. I don't think he's a team guy. I think he's all about himself. Ooh, not a winner, not a team guy, all about himself. A ton of ball screens. Shamori Ponds. 
not Shamori Pons. Damn. I felt so good about that too. A ton of ball screens, but not a winner. Yeah. What what team runs like no offense, basically? St. John's. Fair point. I mean, is it Tremont Waters? Not Tremont Waters. They actually run some interesting stuff. I will give Will Wade that. They are not as stagnant as what I think they could be. There's no offense, not a winner, but a guy that's going to get drafted. Tyus Battle. Nailed it. (laughs) By the way, I think that that coach was a little bit harsh. I will say that. That that was a little bit harsh, but they don't run any offense. They don't run offense. That part is not harsh. That part, I think, is actually true. Um, But... I don't think it's like as bad as um, like he's like not a winner or not a team guy. Uh, that was that that part was a little tough. I thought. Um, all right. I still can't believe I go? didn't get Naz Reed. How did I not get Naz Reed? Yeah, that that one was tough. Un- unbelievable. Was, I missed the layup, tough. Sam. Sam, I missed the layup. You did miss the layup. Um, okay. So I'm gonna give you a hint on this one. This guy is not on North Carolina. When I read this. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's said, do it oh hell yeah good player he's the type of guard carolina typically has as a freshman but the more time he's there he shores up the guard spot for years not a one and done defends uh and then the second one is that kid i don't think he's a one and done but he's going to be one of those guys who everyone says is a great college player and ends up in the nba i look at him like he's got some real shit to him he's a competitor He's a winner. He plays his ass off. The thing about him, they list him at 6'2". I don't think he's quite 6'2", but he fits the mold of a smaller guard at the next level. Devin Dotson? That's on it. That's all. You nailed it. Devin Dotson. Nice. He, You know what? He really does fit the mold of a guy that should be at Carolina. I think they offered him. I think it was between him and Kobe White. That whoever, Whichever coach said that nailed it. Yeah. Okay. When you watch highlights of him, you're like, ooh. But to me, he's a highlight film. He doesn't have great feel for out of play, but he has tremendous upside because of that. If he's a great kid and he's a worker, he's somebody that can be on your team and be a two-way player, and he'll turn from highlights into a real player. But he's not learning a lot there. The way they play, you don't learn a lot of offensive concepts. He's a guy that you want to get in ball screen situations, get him on single step or single side step ups, and get him driving to the rim. That's how you use the highlight ability to the best then you'll teach him how to short roll uh, if someone ices him teach him a 15 footer shot fake and drive but they don't utilize him that way wait i'm confused so is this are we talking about a guard or a big guy big guy big guy um is it i think i know who it is is it jackson hayes it's not jackson hayes they actually do a pretty good job of getting him in ball screen actions i think so it's a guy that is not often put oh, in good ball daniel screen gafford actions. it's daniel gafford yeah that, that one's one of the most infuriating ones to me uh, in terms of how it is, how he's utilized. Uh, hate him as a player. Absolutely hate him. I think he's a terrible player. I don't care that he made a couple threes against blank because everyone was feeling good. I hate him. I think he's a bad player. I've watched him play like crazy. Uh, it's great that he plays harder than people in non-competitive settings and people fell in love with that. Uh, but I see a guy who has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> that's Nazir Little. You, we've we've played with that one before. Oh yeah, we have. That's right. <laughs> that. That because was that was, uh, honestly, I think it's kind of true. It's harsh, but I think it's kind of true. I'm gonna give you 
two like snippets of these. He seems okay. like the new age NBA off guard. Doesn't matter what his size is. He just puts the ball in the basket with that quick release. Off balance shots. His feet aren't even pointing to the goal and he's still catching it and shooting it while in midair. Our biggest thing was staying in his body as much as possible. We knew we'd get hit with a bunch of pin downs, curls and flares. Biggest thing is staying attached to his body at all times. Second, I just don't think he's an NBA player. Maybe he is. You watch his shots that he gets and takes in games. Maybe, I guess. With the way shooting is in the NBA right now, you never know. But I don't think so right now. He doesn't need to be square to the basket. I just don't know that he has the size for an NBA shooting guard. If he was 6'6 or 6'7, this would be a way different story. But the size of NBA players, I don't know. I just don't see it. Is it Kyle Guy? It's not Kyle Guy. Very close, though, in terms of like uh, skin tone. <laughs> Is it Tyler Hero? It's not Tyler Hero. So I just got to start guessing white guys, huh? This is your guy, too. I'm kind of bummed. Oh, is it Fletcher? It's Fletcher. It's Fletcher McGee. Fletcher. Nice. Okay. I didn't think that Fletcher was uh, enough of a prospect to be on this list. Yeah. Fletcher is Fletcher. I love Fletcher. He's a little bit real. Um, He is. But here's here's the thing. Like, people that have watched Kyle Guy have seen the shots that, like, Kyle Guy takes. The ridiculous shots where he's not square and, like, his body's facing the wrong direction. And, like, multiply that by 10. And that's what Fletcher yeah. McGee is. That's why you have to watch Wofford play. It's ridiculous, the shots that he takes. Not the shots that he makes, the shots that he takes. People should not be shooting the shots that he takes, and he makes them. All right. Our last one here, before I let you go. His path is awesome. Are you awesome. Title, on the Fletcher McGee Love podcast? It should be. It really should be. Uh, <laughs> his path is awesome, which speaks volumes of who he is. Unbelievable lift on his jump shot. Not an indictment on the coaching, but I think he gets frustrated a lot of times by the things that go on around him. Great stroke, sneaky athletic. Defensively, it's a work in progress. Uh, If someone said he's in the NBA 12 years, I'd buy that. If someone said he shoots the ball every time and they cut him, I wouldn't be surprised. He's one of those guys that you can go both ways on. Can you see him running around for Utah or the Heat and he turns into a good player? Yeah, that'd make sense. I think he's better than Duncan Robinson. Duncan can shoot with the best of them but he's stronger and way more athletic and actually has some shit to his game with the bounce. He can shoot it from deep with lift. He's one I'd keep an eye on. Is is this your guy? Is yes, it your it guy? Is. Yes. Is, is it Isaiah Joe? Oh, no, it's not Isaiah Joe. Oh, Isaiah man. Joe is also my guy. Similar yes. similar in terms of breakdowns, but not No, it bad. is. Not so Isaiah then it's Cam Joe. Johnson? It's not Cam Johnson. Oh, God, son of a bitch. I thought I had those too. Now I got to rethink this. Okay, so it's a shooter. It's got a little bit of shit to his game. And he compared him to Duncan Robinson. So, like, he's got to be a white guy then, right? Correct. Is it Dylan Is it Dylan Windler? It's not Dylan Windler. Oh, son of a- You're going to be pissed when you hear who this is. This is one that I thought you would get on the first one. I'm not going to lie to you. Because I really just wanted to shout this guy out. But he's a sh- he shoots too much. You said he shoots too much? You said he shoots too much, right? The coach said he uh, shoot- shoots a lot, yeah. Shoots a lot. And takes bad shots. Oh, Max Strews? Yes, it is. Shout out Max Drew. 43, <laughs> 43 points today against St. John's on senior day. The king of college basketball this season. I love Max Drews. He is Max just Drew. the best. Is, is he really have a shot at the league? Oh, yeah. I, he's like 80th on my big board right now. And I think is he's he? like, yeah, I think he's like for sure at the very least a two-way guy next year. Wow. Good for him. I love his yeah. story. 6'6", six, six, great elevation on his jumper, uh, never stops running. Like, you watch DePaul games, that dude never stops running. And I think that once he stops playing for DePaul, he will stop, like, shooting from 40 feet out every time he catches it. Yeah, and I mean, if you're athletic and you can shoot, it's worth taking a risk on you on just the off chance that, like, you could teach somebody how to guard and um, find a way to use them offensively. The, the Duncan Robinson, the NBA thing, is still, it's a little bit baffling to me. 
and that, like I'm not trying to take a shot at him or anything, but it's just I did not watch him play and like think to myself, okay, that guy is an NBA player. Yeah, I mean, he came off the bench for Michigan last year. He did. He did. Like yeah. I think they benched him because it was a defensive thing, wasn't it? It was. Like he yeah. couldn't guard. Couldn't guard anyone, yeah. but like he's good enough to guard in the NBA. Yes, yeah. I don't no. know. Hundred well, percent. Good for him, like, man. It's I got I got to rep Duncan Robinson because that's a D three guy. Hey, so is, isn't Max a D three guy too? That's why D2. I. Oh, he's D two. I thought he was D three. That's yeah. honestly why I brought him up to you at the end because I was I wanted to shout out the forty three point game and I wanted to uh, give you some D three love, but apparently yeah. not. No, not D three. He's he's a D two guy. We don't we don't talk about those guys. But the uh, the Gillespie kid at Baylor, that's a D three guy. Stud right yeah. there. There's another D3 guy that's like a somewhat real prospect right now. I can't remember who it is. Yeah, the, I, is the, I don't even know what the Gillespie kid's first name is. The, that Baylor team to me, it's just, it feels like every week they got a guy going down for an injury and they just find some other dude off of their bench that we've never heard of that comes out and gives you 20. Like yeah, Devontae no Van Dude, like where the hell did he come from? This Gillespie dude, where the hell did he come from? Whoever's throwing plates in your kitchen, where the hell did they come from? <laughs> yeah, uh, Laura is back, so I'm going to get going here. Rob, tell the people where they can find your work. You can uh, you can find me on the College Basketball Talk podcast by NBC Sports. You can find that anywhere where you get podcasts for free, and this is what you guys got to do. You got to go subscribe to my podcast, then unsubscribe and resubscribe. Throw me five stars. But only do that after you give five stars and you say a nice comment on the Game Theory podcast that you're listening to right now and tell Sam he's got to have me back on more often. That is definitely going to happen as we get into March. Uh, I'm sure that, I mean, by the time we get to the Final Four, we will probably have a podcast where we're like having beers and having a podcast talking about betting. So it's only a matter of time until that happens. But uh, please go subscribe to the podcast, rate, review it, go subscribe to the athletic, read all the stories that is published last week. There are a million of them and they're all pretty interesting, I think. So go do that until next time though. We'll talk soon. Bye.